your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brutal. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. What's up, biohackers? Anthony DiClemente here, and I am excited because in this episode, I sit down with Seth Knapp. Seth is a serial entrepreneur, high-performance coach, blogger, and speaker. Him and his companies have been featured in magazines like Entrepreneur, The Next Web, publications like The Wall Street Journal, and much, much more. Seth's superpower is hacking consciousness. So if you guys have read books like Stealing Fire, you're gonna really love this episode. We deep dive into some of the different substances Seth has found to be beneficial in upgrading consciousness and cognitive performance. Some of them are legal. Some of them are a little less legal. So disclaimer, disclaimer, before doing anything, please discuss with your physician or general care practitioner. We're also going to dive into ways that you can integrate meditation into your daily routine without actually feeling like you need to sit down and set aside time to meditate in the lotus position. Uncommon biohacks using music and other uncommon strategies to increase your awareness and focus and Seth's favorite little known ways to boost your cognitive function, sharpen your mind, and elevate your mindfulness. So without further ado, please sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Seth Knapp. Hey, everyone. I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks, and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. Seth. Anthony, how are you? I'm good, brother. How you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Nice, man. Very cool. So, Seth, when people ask you what 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 do you do for a living, what's your answer? <laughs> um, I, I, I I like the uh, Tim Ferriss answer of sell drugs um, <laughs> sometimes because it, uh, it 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 stops the conversation quickly. Um, to be honest, uh, you know, a lot of people associate themselves with a job title, right? So you ask them what they do, um, and they'll give you a job title, and I think that's interesting because. We shouldn't associate ourselves with a title. Um, personally, I, I just call myself a startup guy. Um, I think I have kind of that hacking mindset to everything in life, and that's how things with me kind of evolve. Um, but I, the thing I really kind of get off on is just taking something, taking an idea, a concept from scratch, and literally growing it into something that can be a successful business, a successful idea um, that spreads. Um, you know, I do have my own uh, – I have a marketing and ad, t- ad tech startup. Um, so, you know, you can most associate or most closely associate me with that. So CEO, of course, could be something as well. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, as a whole, I really just kind of liken myself to being a startup guy. That's what I love. I love those like little victories that you have when you're building something, um, and you start to see it take hold and, and get traction and people respond positively. Those little, those little moments, those little victories are what get me excited. So I just love being in the trenches and, and grinding things out. And, you know, that's why I just, I say, people ask me what I do. I'm a startup guy. I like to build useful things or create useful ideas. I like that. How did you, how did you get to where you're at today? Like what's, you know, if, if, if you could give us Share your story, uh, how you got into growth hacking and consciousness hacking and, and startups. And you, you mentioned your, your football background a little bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so actually something I kind of touch on with, 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 uh, with, with hacking consciousness is this idea of 
of stories, right? So we all have our stories that we carry around with us. And that really shapes our decision making, which is something I can touch on later in terms of it not really being a positive thing. So for me, if you go all the way back to my story that kind of got me here is I grew up, um, you know, I had a, a, a father who was a drug addict and alcoholic, um, ended up committing suicide, had mental health issues. My mom um, at that time was also newly diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, so she's disabled in a wheelchair. My dad passed away, you know, left us with quarter million dollar in tax bill from taxes he didn't pay on a business because of his drug problem that we didn't know about. Basically went from, I mean, lower middle class, but a fairly normal life to, you know, five, six, seven years old, just completely and utterly thrust into um, just complete poverty. Um, you know, so growing up, I mean, there was a time, a point when I was living in uh, not so good neighborhood. We were living in a house with three different families um, our heat's getting cut out into in the winter time, so we have no no heat in the winter. We're um, literally eating Dale Bakery to survive and stuff like that. And you know, it's one of those things like where it's like that really kind of like shaped me, motivated me. I had this idea where um, basically the world did not give a shit about me, so I have to go out and I have to work and I have to earn mine and get my own. Um, and that just kind of stuck with me. So I get all the way you know into college, and actually the NFL was. Um, I blew my knee out really bad. I lost a bunch of scholarships. And so I had to go a small school division three route for football. So in my mind, all right, um, you know, the NFL is something they can't take away from me. I have the talent. I went to the NFL. They do smaller regional combines that came out of that as like the seventh tight end in the country. And so I'm seeing this all happen. All right. My NFL is, is the conduit to everything. You know, I did do my undergraduate in entrepreneurship. Um, but so the NFL, because I came from nothing and no family money or any help, I was like the NFL is my conduit after that to get into you know, my entrepreneurial career. Um, and it's just one of these things like, right, all, I, I have the talent, I can do this. Nobody can take this away from me. And they took it away from me. Uh, basically what happened is that was the year of the NFL lockout. So what happened that year is the lockout went so deep into the year that there was no rookie free agency. I played at a small school. So even despite me doing really well at the NFL regional combine, um, small school guys signed free agent deals. So what happens is you sign your free agent deal and you, you, know, you have your rookie, your OTAs and your spring training and all that stuff where they're evaluating you. Well, the lockout went so deep that, that none of that ever happened. It didn't exist. So what happened is there was basically, it wasn't just me, of course, but there was you know, probably a couple hundred guys who didn't get a shot because there was just no rookie free agency that year due to the lockout. They basically had to jump right into training camp, which meant there wasn't any time to evaluate lower talent. First string guys got a lot more reps than possible. So once I, you know, my agent kind of informed me like, listen, there's, it's not happening this year. Um, you know, my world kind of fell apart for basically a day. Um, I've always kind of naturally been pretty resilient. I honestly don't know why, uh, but it was. So um, I kind of wake up the next day and it's like, all right, well, I have, to, I can, you know, at, at at best, I have a year till I, you know, get myself in shape and, you know, try to make a run at it again. But I have to do something in, in the meantime. Um, and I just realized at that point I was so checked out. I was I was a year into my master's. I was so checked out that um, I, I was done. I knew I was done with school. And what I realized, I was so consumed by the NFL that I kind of lost my soul in the process. And I realized, like, had I even made the NFL, I probably would have been a scrub doing everything I could to make the team for maybe two or three years and then, you know, making league minimum and walk out. And I realized just how much it consumed me that I lost so much of myself in the process. So now that, you know, I was, I was doing okay consulting, I was picking up clients and really just kind of working and working and working and working. Had this idea that came as a result of actually a pain point with social media marketing that my clients saw. 
and you know, kind of had that light bulb moment that they call it. And that's when my startup came about. You know, I had this idea, so we started moving forward on that. And we were doing extremely well in the beginning. Uh, a lot of really good PR, and we were like, oh man, we're raising money. We got to go, 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 because we're going to miss out and, and everything, which is you know, not the case. Uh, so we were a little misguided there. And what happened is I just, I, I didn't build what was probably the right team. Um, and it's nothing against anybody on the team. It just wasn't a right fit with everybody. Um, so basically we got to a point where um, had a kind of clean house. Um, some people were let go. Other people um, walked away, understandably so. Um, and what happened in the process is my adrenals completely like crashed on me from just overworking and being too stressed out. I was an unhappy person. I wasn't sleeping, but I wore it as this like badge of honor, right? Because I've had so much go against me in my life that I have to outwork and out hustle and out grind everybody to, to make it, to make things work. And when, when my adrenals crash and I was basically left also with, um, no team, it allowed me to pull back and I realized just how bad my tunnel vision was. And to be honest, I read the book Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday, and it completely changed my life. It, it gave me this unbelievable gift of new perspective. So I started diving into stoicism and, and different mindfulness practices and the science of happiness and um, kind of created this amalgamation of all these things in, in, that I started applying to my life in this one kind of core concept, which would be the idea of hacking your consciousness on this path to ascension in life. And it's since then, it's really been this guiding force. So, you know, if I go back to my story, you know, we treat it like it's this really positive thing. So I went through a lot, you know, had a really tough childhood and I turned it into a positive, right? So I fought through and a test of my mental fortitude, I came through. So I tell myself like that, this is great, right? Like I give old meaning with new meaning because I went through this, I am this and I'm happy with this. The problem was I thought I was happy and I wasn't because I was, I was a miserable human being. And I realized that I let my old sto my story of my childhood affect my decision-making in my current life. And it almost ran me into the ground and, and killed me. Um, and that was really this huge kind of awakening that, wow, I need to let this stuff go. It's not maybe the best thing. Like I can still, I can still work really hard and hustle but do it in a smarter way and not have to allow my past to dictate how I am in my future. Um, and that's really what's kind of gotten me to this point now, this idea of um, constantly creating more mental space and being a freer, happier individual that works smarter, not necessarily harder, uh, now is just a guiding point in everything. And it's great because it just it creates more, you know, there's more creativity, there's more ideation, which leads to other ventures, better relationships with people. And it's kind of had this windfall effect, but it's really kind of been the last two years, I can say, where I've just gone on this, like, I dove into this mission. And, you know, to me, I think that's kind of the essence of hacking with whatever you're doing. You know, it's kind of a school of hard knocks approach. You know, I, you don't go to college to learn all this stuff. You find this stuff out by testing it and becoming more efficient and better with it in the real world. And that's the stuff I've kind of applied, you know, but from more of like a higher level, you know, philosophical approach. How, how would you contrast your worldview prior to Ryan Holiday's book, just using that as a, a turning point in your journey. Um, if you can compare and contrast your worldview before and, and after, how you saw business, relationships, and, um, and, and your health. And then, and then we'll discuss your worldview and, and, those, and those three categories uh, post. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 you're yeah, that's spot on. I mean, that that book I can definitely say was the catalyst and the defining kind of turning moment. So prior to it, um, you know, big picture was it was very narrow. You know, our our worldview it determines our values that we have. So I can kind of say, you know, my values that I had at the time were uh, incessant work habit. Um, I wasn't paying attention to my relationship. You know, I'm extremely lucky now to still be with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, who was with me at the time that she stuck this way, that she stuck this out with me. Um, again, a narrow approach to health. Um, I worked out still, um, but it was very quick. It wasn't a dedicated effort. I didn't focus it as one part of life, right? So it was work, 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 work. And not realizing that if I focused on better relationships, more, um, greater, a deeper sense of spirituality, a better sense of health, like I, I was completely blinded and unable to see that those would make me better at work because I was like, well, this takes time away from work, so I can't commit to it. I would cancel dates. I wouldn't work out or eat as healthy as I could. Um, my spirituality probably wasn't where it was. So it was just, it was just an extremely narrow um, worldview, which also led it to be um, selfish. You know, I, I made a lot of selfish decisions in the process, not intentionally, but that also is because I had, I had a narrow view of the world. Um, basically what I can say post is it's, is I've, you know, not necessarily, it's been a path because there's different levels of consciousness you can actually ascend up to. There's eight of them, but in this path of ascension, what I can say now, especially is I have what I would consider a much more like holistic and integrative worldview. So it, it goes beyond just having empathy. Um, you know, I care about the environment. I care about social issues to actually being able to understand other people and their worldviews and understanding like if I disagree with this person, uh, it's not necessarily because they're wrong and I'm right. I can disagree with them and maybe just understand they have a completely different set of values that's predicated on their worldview. So the biggest thing is now it's, it's, it's a much more, uh, like I said, kind of holistic and integrative approach to the world. So what I also, you know, going back to the three things you touched on, um, um, you know, business wise, um, I'm so much more efficient with my time. I think so much more clearly, um, this, I, the ideas just come much more naturally because my brain is more free and open and there's less clutter there. Um, how, how did you, how did you see <clears throat> business and finances before this, this, uh, epiphany took place, this personal transformation? Um, so the interesting thing is that I've never been, I've never been uh, a money hungry or like what, what could be considered like a greedy person. Um, I've always wanted to accumulate a high sense of private and personal wealth, but it's also so I can do a lot more philanthropic things. Um, so that wasn't, so I was, I can't say, I wouldn't say I was definitely like guided um, by it at the time. Um, but what I did do is I, again, with that narrow worldview is I wasn't making open-minded decisions that would actually lead to a greater sense of private and personal wealth, right? Like some of the biggest risk takers, people, they may be calculated, but people who take risks, people who are willing to put themselves on the line and go into and try things or be more open-minded to things, a lot of times are people who are going to accumulate more private and personal wealth. So what I can definitely say at the time is I was never guided by money, but what it also did is it put me in a place where I was never going to accumulate this, this sense of this private and personal wealth that I wanted to live this like, you know, utopic, uh, kind of lifestyle where I had this freedom. So I was never going to be able to achieve it because I was so narrow minded and so closed minded that my decisions were predicated on that, on that very closed, um, worldview. And then your, your health, was it like 
you said you worked out, but they were very short and fast and seeming, seemingly they lacked focus. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Nope. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. It's, you know, I, I, I've always enjoyed working out. I, you know, I was a, a, you know, a college athlete and so it's nothing I was, I would ever completely give up, but that's just that focus, right? Like, like discipline in one area of life leads to discipline in others areas of life, improves focus overall, improves better well-being. If I can be more disciplined with my diet and uh, in the gym with whatever I'm doing, whether I'm trying to become the next Arnold Schwarzenegger or run a marathon, if I can exercise more discipline, it's going to exercise, I'll be able to exercise that discipline um, more so in other areas, especially business, finance and things like that. And um, at the time, again, there's another thing I just, I completely lost sight of. I'm like, yeah, I need to, I'll go work out. And, you know, if I miss it, I'm not going to sweat it. If I go and I got 30 minutes, you know, it wasn't something where I allocated time for and it wasn't a necessary aspect of my life. It was something I did in addition. It was more or less a hobby, not really a, a one of a key piece of personal fulfillment at the time. Okay. Okay. And, um, and then Ryan's book, well, if you were, if you were to explain that to someone that, that needed the information, but would never be able to get their hands on that book, what, what were your key takeaways? Um, that adversity is a gift. Um, uh, and not some of the time it's always a gift, um, that you have to, um, the great thing about that book is it's not academic. Uh, there's plenty of academic books on stoicism. There's plenty of actual books from stoic philosophers. He used anecdotal evidence of people in history that have, even, even if they never knew what stoicism was, exercised and lived those principles. Um, so what you walk away from it is this realization that, man, no matter how bad you feel for yourself, there's people who have been through worse and struggled through more and have come out of it on top. So if there's one takeaway you'd, you'd want to, to go, a nugget from the book, if you were never able to get your hands on it, it would be that no matter what happens to you, I don't care what the adversity is, no matter how like down you feel or how much it feels like the world is just kicking you in the ass, um, it's a gift. It is a gift because you are going to have a gift of newfound perspective and you're going to be that much closer to what the proper answers are, whatever you're trying to seek or the proper path in life. So it's, it's you know, adversity ends up being this incredible gift. But the rub, of course, is that you need to see it that way. Um, you need to realize the gift that it's giving you because um, it's obviously not just going to show itself. Um, so that, that's definitely the biggest takeaway is that without a doubt, walk away. Any, any type of adversity, any type of hardships you go through, they are always a gift. You have to find the gift and, and learn from it. And if you do, you will you know, rise out of it a much, much stronger um, individual. So you had this situation where now you have – I, 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 where was your business financially when everybody started walking out? Um, basically on the verge of running out of investment capital. Um, and without like a true, the, a, a true sense of direction, the, the startup world is unique in the sense that, uh, and this is what I love about those well is you don't ha technically have a, a true business model. When you start a lot of times you have an idea or a concept, you have to take that idea and concept. You have to turn it into a product. Then you have to find a product that people are going to actually want to pay for and use regularly. So it's this whole kind of like tiered process and there's testing and failing in between. That's where this kind of like fail fast mentality has come in the startup world, for example. And, um, and so when every, we were basically, we raised a lot of money early on and we, uh, to be honest, blew through it, uh, too quickly. And it was just a result of us thinking, okay, we have all this momentum, we have all this PR and we have to go, 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 go. So we were hiring people that we didn't need to hire 
And never spending money ill intentions. You hear about the startups who you know, have hot tubs in the office, never anything like that. Like we were taking very, very, very modest salaries. All the money was spent well intentioned, but it was just spent too, it was just spent too many different ways. Um, so yeah, we were basically on the verge of running out of capital and, you know, we didn't have a, a, a team at the time, um, where a lot of people were willing to really dig in and work just on an equity basis and grind this out. Um, so it definitely from the surface wasn't a good look. And I guess as a whole, wasn't a good place, but again, it goes back to, that adversity. I learned so much about myself and most importantly, the direction of this company where I was able to go because at the time we didn't, we had a business model, but that wasn't sustainable, you know? So, and we were just going, 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 and we weren't kind of stepping back. And this forced me to completely step back and, you know, take this company in the direction uh, that I felt like it really needed to. And again, complete blessing as a result. How what how's your your worldview evolved now? Um, you know, as I said, I would I, I the two words I use are integrative and holistic. Um, I'm you know I'm not some I'm not gonna you know sit here and say I'm some you know monk who floats when he meditates on the side of a mountain. Um, I'm not that in tune with the world by any means. But what's happened is um, I, the empathy comes to mind. My level of empathy has grown through the roof. And the greatest thing about this, the only way you get to that point is through complete grace and humility on your end. So, um, you know, for everything from sales, like a sales aspect in business to relationships, to spirituality, when you can not only see the rest of the world, um, but actually understand other people and, and recognize the differences in their worldviews and understand like why I have these values, right? Politics are something I liken it to all the time. You have a Bernie Sanders supporter and a Trump supporter, complete different ends of the spectrum. They butt heads. Sometimes they even literally get into fights. Both think they're right and literally can't see the other side because they're on different planes of consciousness. Um, what I've basically been gifted as a result through these efforts in the past couple of years is an understanding of those different levels of consciousness, understanding why this Bernie Sanders supporter and this Trump supporter butt heads and can't see the other's point of view. You know, I can see both of their point of views and can be completely understanding to regardless of what side of the aisle I sit on politically. Um, it doesn't faze me when other people disagree. And again, that carries over into everything. It's, it has strengthened my relationship um, tenfold. Um, I realized, you know, what I was doing, <clears throat> excuse me, I realized what I was doing prior to that in terms of making selfish decisions um, for the business. It helps a lot when you're determining, um, when you're trying to determine like making your product right for the market, being able to sell your product, when you can really understand other people and their motivations and build products around other people's pain points and what they're looking for. Um, spirituality has increased and everything. So it's just, it's a much more, it's gone from this like narrow, like this narrow view that was like literally tunnel vision going straight out from my eyes to um, actually truly feeling connected to everybody and everything in the world. And now from there, just trying to increase that. So it's definitely what I would consider almost like a holistic um, type of worldview versus a very, very kind of selfish tunnel vision type of worldview. If, if someone knows that they're not good at that, maybe they have a hard time seeing other people's perspectives. They're very rigid in their beliefs and uh, perhaps have a lot of these I, I, characteristics and aspects of their identity that, that um, I don't know, maybe there's an ego component involved, but what did you start doing? Was there a daily practice that you found to be helpful? Was like how, you don't just wake up and suddenly have that, that level of empathy. What, what, what did you do to develop that? 
Um, yeah, no, great question. So um, I, it started with meditation. It started with reading, um, actually reading meditations as well, daily so reading stoicism. The biggest epiphany and realization I kind of had, I was reading a book called Focus by Daniel Goleman. And in there, he discusses this idea of bottom up and top down thinking. Um, as humans, we are incredibly good at top down thinking, which is our slow thinking. What am I going to do? Uh, where am, what am I going to wear today? What am I going to eat for dinner? Do I do this? Do I do that? It's very slow thinking. And bottom-up thinking is computational. So bottom-up thinking is the reason why we can't think of an answer, and five days later, it spits out at us. It just comes out of nowhere. What happens is it's, it's the bottom-up portion of your brain is always thinking. It's always simmering on things. And as humans, well, but, but if you think about this, um, you know, if you're literally to like push down on the top of your head, that's how top-down thinking works. Bottom-up ideas come from the bottom trying to push out. But the problem is they have to be released. Top-down thinking, which is what we, which as humans, we do so much of, especially in this current society, uh, we push those ideas and we hold them down, which means we have no space in our brains. Our brains are filled with clutter. Um, and when I realized this, that, it, you know, it's the idea of epiphanies and even creativity for the most part, to be honest, it's all bullshit. It does it. We all, we're all creative beings. We can all have epiphanies and we can have more of them. But the problem is we have to allow these like, top, uh, bottom, uh, bottom up ideas to come out. Um, so what goes along with that are actual practices. And a lot of them are, I would consider just simple mindfulness practices of being in the moment, because it's the reason why when I say that answer comes to you five days later, it comes when you're sitting on the toilet or taking a shower. Um, it's because you have a mindless moment. So now you don't have any top down clutter and this bottom up idea squirts out and it feels like an epiphany, but it was there the whole time. Um, so what you can do is uh, simple tricks, driving to work. So many of us, like, right, we have space now. We have a, a time of space. We don't have to work. We don't have to do anything. We have space to ourselves. And what do we do instead? We fill it. So we're driving to work. And instead of being mindful and being in the moment, we are, uh, we're, we're, we're stressing about our job. Maybe, maybe someone at our, in the office is being a dick or we have mounting credit card bills that we, we're stressing about, even though we can't do anything about it. Or some people literally trivial stuff like, am I going to Panera or Chipotle for lunch? And this stuff legitimately stresses them out. So what we do is we take these open, these free moments where we can have this space and allow these bottom-up ideas to come out and we just fill them. And we love to fill our brains with, with clutter again. Um, so instead, while you're driving to work, slow down, pay attention to your surroundings. Try to, you know, as you're driving on your morning commute or, or however you get to work, be at pay attention to your surroundings and the people around you and the commute. And, you know, when you get to work, make it a practice of trying to actively recall that. Um, I do little tricks. I'll listen to the same song and repeat while I'm at the gym to empty my mind even more. Um, you can meditate all day long doing different things instead of if you're cleaning the house, instead of thinking about something while you're cleaning the house, um, just focus on what you're actually doing. If you're scrubbing a dish, think about scrubbing the dish. If you're cooking, cooking is highly meditative because you're using sharp utensils. So you have to be in the moment. All these little tips and tricks and things you can do to really sit and be in the moment. What it does is it empties your mind. It clears out that, that top down clutter and it allows all these bottom up ideas to start to come out. Um, and it's one, it's a very freeing experience, but it also de-stresses you as well too. And when I started to gain an understanding of how the brain worked, I realized again, right? Creativity isn't a real thing. If we think about what a creative person is, um, a creative person, if you think about what's their personality, like someone who's naturally more creative, right? They're more free. Um, you know, they don't stress out about as much stuff. Well, that's exactly how creative ideas come out. So maybe it's not necessarily that they're a more creative person. Maybe it's their personality type that allows them to, to, to let creative ideas flow more. So when I realized it's actually much more of a science, I started applying a lot of this stuff. I started paying attention to my drives and to my surroundings and taking things in. I would 
stimulate my brain. So I would stimulate novelty. I would walk different ways to different things, drive different ways, do things differently. So your brain is being stimulated and being novel because when it's being stimulated like that, you, you empty it out and you free those things. And there's just all kinds of different and, you know, mindfulness practices that you can do all day long. Um, and when you start to do that, it's, it is an unbelievable awakening because the correlationary effect is, oh my gosh, I'm more creative. Um, I have less stress in my life. Um, and then what you develop as well too, then is that greater sense of empathy. You start to be able, cause now you're paying attention. You're looking outside of yourselves and you're not just caught up in your own brain, filling it with clutter. Um, and it becomes this incredibly, um, almost overwhelming experience when you start to see these things just naturally come together as a result of a lot of these practices. <coughs> how, how do you meditate? Um, what's your so, preferred methodology? So, so quite a bit. So I, I haven't gone, I would love to get um, certified in uh, transcendental meditation or TM. I haven't done that yet. Um, I use, uh, I actually use an app called ha uh, Headspace. Um, it's a guided meditation app, uh, probably one of the two most popular. Um, I think it's phenomenal. Um, it really helps me, right? Because I'm one of those, I, my mind is, it races and not in a bad way. Like I, I need white noise at night to turn off my brain and everything. So having this guided meditation um, allows me to focus inward more. Um, and clear my mind when I have someone actively guiding me through this. Like if you do that, if you start to do this, don't do this. That reminder has been very powerful. Um, but like I said, there's a lot of ways, you know, meditation is about mindfulness and also mindlessness. So simple tricks I do is, uh, if I'm at the gym, I will literally put one song on repeat, um, because it just naturally, that monotony naturally empties the mind more. And I notice I have much more creative ideas a lot of times when I'm at the gym. Um, do you, you choose songs that don't have vocals when you do that? No, no, I, 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 I focus, I'm, I'm a huge music fan. And I, so I focus on stuff though, that I definitely is, um, is creative. Um, so, I mean, artists, regardless of what you think about them, um, Connie West, um, you being the proverbial, you, um, I think is an extremely creative being who's done things in music that nobody's has been. So I do, I'll listen to like a Kanye West song on repeat a lot of times. What's, um, what's your, what's your go-to? My go-to is, um, actually only one um by Kanye West so it's a it's a song it's I joke like the size of Kanye's ego or, or seeming ego at times she has a song with Paul McCartney that you never hear Paul McCartney on only Kanye would do a song with a Beatle and you'd never hear the Beatle um <laughs> but it's this beautiful song you know that they just you can tell they just like did it in the studio and Paul McCartney just almost plays this like broken keyboard and it's just Kanye singing and it's just bare bones but it's about his daughter and it's just to me it's just it's it's so beautiful um, and that song seems to, uh, seems to really open me up. Um, but honestly, sometimes I'll, I'll listen to, um, some hip hop songs and things like that. I like a lot of underground hip hop. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it, sometimes it's inspiration, but I can say without a doubt, only one by Kanye West is really kind of my go-to song in that regard. All right. I've, I've only heard that a, uh, a couple of times when I, I think I watched the music video once or twice and I'll have to, I'll have to give it another couple of listens. Um, all right, so that that's that's a good. I like that tip a lot. So playing a song on repeat and just looping it so that eventually your brain gets used to the monotony and then can can settle in. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Your brain gets and it's just a way because our minds naturally empty when we're at the gym. There's a study that was done that showed focus and non-focus, and we're most focused during lovemaking, and then second most focus is at the gym. So if we can do things that you know, improve that and empty the brain even more because focus empties the mind. Um, playing a song on repeat, it 
will it will uh, have those those kinds of effects where the mind empties that much more. And again, you you allow these ideas to come up. But more importantly, what you're doing is you're teaching yourself how to be mindful. Most importantly, how to empty the mind, how to remove clutter. Because it's just like with anything, you you can train the brain. So if you want to get better at basketball or shooting free throws, you shoot free throws and you play basketball. With this, you do active things to practice it. Um, but you can also you know be mindful of during the day as much as you can. If you feel your mind slipping or if you're feeling um, like you're starting to um, fill it with clutter, stop yourself. Now, it's obviously easier said than done, but the more you do that, what you're doing is you're, act, you're making an active neural connection there. You're saying to your brain, pull yourself back in, don't go out there or don't worry about this. And what happens is your brain over time will start to learn as well too. So it's, it's very much just a conscious type of effort, but there's so many little things you can do where eventually it starts to become second nature. Now your brain is trained to actually be mindless um, and more mindful versus being you know completely full full of clutter and filling up all the space that precious space that you do have <clears throat> what are there are there any other practices that that you work into your daily weekly monthly <coughs> routine like that 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 myself and the listeners can kind of take away and play with absolutely um so there's a couple um a couple hacks that you use that are extremely powerful to what I would, to, again, this idea of creating more space, right? We have no space in our minds. Um, we love as human beings, we just fill it, we fill it, we fill it, we fill it, and we stress out about things. So it's impossible for us to create a higher level of consciousness and more empathy because we're focused so inward. Um, one of those things are, are rackets. So there's this idea, you know, think about um, a pizza shop in Italy and, or, you know, in New York, I'm sorry, and it's owned by the mafia and these customers are coming in and they're paying their cash and they're thinking it's a pizza shop, but really, you know, there's some nefarious activity going on behind the scenes. And it's a record, right? So it's a front. Well, we do this in every day of our lives. So you can do these hacks, um, which are recognizing your rackets. Um, because what a racket really is, is it's kind of letting yourself off the hook for something. It's, you know, somebody does this all the time, so I'm going to do this. Or they do that all the time, and I'm, I'm going to do this. <coughs> and, uh, you know, for example, with myself, going back to kind of the stories I told you, I said, and, you know, I had this racket that... Um, with myself, you know, with my relationship was a great example when I was so focused inward, um, that I would, I would make these excuses, right? Like I'm working on something bigger. This is, you're trying to build a billion dollar company, right? So I have these excuses to let myself off the hook from maybe canceling dates and stuff like that, instead of like owning up and being accountable. When we, we go through rackets every single day of our lives, whether it's with loved ones, we may not be being honest with them, but what we're doing is we're not being honest with ourselves. So we put up these fronts to let us off the hook. Just simply recognizing and being honest with yourself and, rec- and, and be real with yourself that you're putting up these fronts and you're letting yourself off the hook requires you to be accountable for things. And you just na- that natural progression of owning up to these, these fronts or these rackets that you put up in every day of your life um, causes you to be much more self-actualized and causes you to be much more honest and real with yourself. And that accountability has paramount effects. Um, another one, um, would be, um, like shifting a paradigm. So we have all these, like we have positive beliefs and we have negative beliefs. Sometimes we have positive beliefs that are actually, we think are positive and are negative, right? Like I, I work, 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 work and ran myself into the ground thinking, you know, this is what I needed to do really was a negative belief. Um, we have a lot of negative beliefs that we continue to reinforce. So I talk about ascension, right? We want to ascend to higher levels of enlightenment and consciousness and empathy to more holistic worldview. Well, many of us, we can also descend as well too. And that's what, you know, recognizing these, these, <coughs> excuse me, these negative beliefs can do. So for example, um, you know, I actually heard someone use a really good example of, I, I believe love is pain. So I have it ingrained in me that love is pain. And, um, 
Why? Because I see it in my environment. My parents went through a really bad divorce, right? So I went to these people. I don't believe in love is real. I, I grew up in, in a loveless marriage. So what happens as a result of me believing this and seeing it to be true in my environment, I take action on it. So now I get in bad relationships. I get involved with toxic people because I don't have self-worth because I believe a good relationship isn't true. And every single time you get into a bad relationship, it's almost like a screwdriver. You're twisting it deeper and deeper and deeper. You're reinforcing that negative belief, which is causing you to become less and less happy, less mindful in your life and actually descend down consciousness. So if you recognize negative and and self-sabotaging and self-limiting beliefs, you can instantly hack them just by making a conscious decision. So you can hack any part of this kind of paradigm, your your, uh, belief, your environment, your action. Environment could be a perfect one. So... um, Right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm terrified. I think terrorism is taking over America and it's, you know, everyone who's Islamic is, is here to kill U.S. citizens or whatever that say that's a, the ex, really extreme approach. And so I see it to be true in my environment. Maybe I watch a lot of Fox News. The people, my friends believe it. So I take action and continue to reinforce those beliefs. Well, what if I choose, you know what, maybe I don't want to believe this to be true. I can instantly change my environment. So now I shift my environment over to a positive thing. Maybe I go and take a vacation. This is why travel is so important because it exposes you to novelty. I take a vacation to a uh, primarily Islamic country and I immerse myself in the culture and I realize, holy cow, nobody hates me here. And this religion for the most part is love and maybe they're there's more people that go extreme with it, but as a whole, it's a loving, caring religion. So now I saw it to be true in my environment. So now that belief system, uh, my actions start to change and start to shift. Maybe I don't get as nervous if I see someone of Islamic faith in the airport. And every single time I get less nervous, what happens is now that belief gets reinforced and goes deeper and deeper into a positive one. So by simply shifting something on, on when you realize you have a negative belief, if you can recognize what in your environment is causing you to have that belief and what negative actions you're taking as a result, you can make an instant change to start, you know, basically twisting that screwdriver in a more kind of positive fashion. So if you can recognize your rackets, be honest with yourself, realizing when you're putting up a front and, and it just self-actualize and realize you're being dishonest and inauthentic, um, that will have paramount effects. And then, um, understanding what your negative beliefs are, understanding where, what's causing them to be true in your environment and what actions you're taking and make conscious decisions to shift those paradigms, um, those will start to create an incredible amount of space and create an incredible amount of empathy, which just has an unbelievable domino effect. Yeah, there's, it's like that exercise where someone says, all right, so, I mean, and anyone listening that hasn't done this can play along if they want, but you say, all right, look around, look around the room and see how many things you can notice that are red. And then you give the person, you know, 10, 20, 30 seconds to look around and notice everything they can that are red. And you say, all right, now stop, close your eyes. And the person closes their eyes, you go, all right, name all the things in the room that were green. And they're like, oh. (laughs) And we have a tendency, like when we're looking for something, we will see evidence of that in our environment and consequently selectively ignore things that run contrary to what we are consciously looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And you know who would you know who would actually do really well at that test are uh, chids, uh, chid, uh, uh, children or adults who have ADD. Um, you know, we treat ADD like it's this horrible thing, but maybe it's just a different way of looking. Because if you test children on like the ch- the teacher might be talking and and it might be doing arithmetic on the board, and you may ask them what they're talking about, they may have no idea. But if you ask them to that he or she to tell you again all the red or green things in the room, even if they close their eyes. They're going to do best on that. You know, there's this theory that 
you know, a million years ago when we were cavemen, like it was, we lived in this fight or flight response, which is also kind of the theory of why we fill this with space, right? Like if we were a caveman and we strayed from the tribe, like we got eaten by a T-Rex. So we have this like fight or flight response, like ingrained in us, um, to, to not, not have any space because we always had to be on edge. And this fight or flight response, they think as well, to be very aware of your surroundings, they think may actually be a genetic feature in terms of ADD. It may not actually be um, an actual condition. It may be a result of our evolution. And for some people, this fight or flight response has stuck with them that they are, that they, you know, as we were maybe a million years ago, when we need to flee at the, at the drop of a heartbeat, if we saw something um, unusual or something that was life-threatening, they think that actually may have been a carryover effect to now. Um, so yeah, to, you're completely right with your point. And, and you know, the, it's, it's interesting when you, again, develop that understanding of it or that more holistic approach that, you know, you can see ADD children as maybe not having a condition and maybe we shouldn't outcast them. And maybe they're just a different type of thinker and they take things in, in a different, in a different way. Um, and yeah, they would, they're absolutely, it's amazing when you, you know, have uh, test them on different, um, type of subjects like that and awareness, how much more aware they are than someone else who might be more focused on, you know, what's on the board. Yeah. Yeah. And, and four kind of fun things that, that tie into what you're talking about in like, sometimes you're, you're a really busy guy as am I, it can be challenging to make time for meditation, even knowing how important it is and, uh, certain things that can help a lot of times we don't chew our food properly. And I've found just consciously chewing and waiting until my brain registers, okay, this food that is in my mouth is now liquefied before I swallow can have a meditative component to it. And a lot of clients, when they first start out, at least in the health space, part of their digestive issues are due to just, they're, they're not chewing properly. They're not breaking down their food in their mouth. They're not allowing their saliva to mix with it. They're not signaling for their stomach to release gastric juices. And consequently, they think their digestion's messed up, but they're just so hurried that they're slamming food down as quick as they can and, um, and, and not allowing their body to follow the, the natural order of the digestive process. So that can be helpful. Um, when, you know, exercising, particularly for me, it's like going on a jog, like an easy jog, mouth closed, just breathing in and out through the nose. And you can tell when you slip out of it because you open your mouth and your mouth breathing. And then just like in meditation, you bring it back, close your mouth in and out, in and out through the nose. And um, at least those are, those are two ways that I sometimes play around with training a, a, a focus and, um, you know, mindfulness and, and incorporating a meditative component to life if without necessarily sitting in the lotus position and, and setting aside, you know, half an hour. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you're, yeah, I mean, you're spot on with that. And there's just, I mean, if you think about it, there's endless activities, you know, we live in this society where we have no concept of time. Right. So so that's why there is time flies by. Oh, time's fleeting. I lost track of time. Well, I mean, this analogy I use when I do talks about this is, you know, I'll count one, two, three, four, five. Like that is the actual speed of time. Imagine if you were enough self-actualized doing things, as you mentioned right there, simple, um, simple little hacks that will also give us this concept of time because we're always right. We're filling our brains. So we're focusing on the future and we're worrying, uh, we're worrying about the future. Maybe we're focusing on the past and things we can't control. We never live in the moment. And so we, so it's impossible for us to have any, any track of time. 
Um, and those, those, even just those little things you, you mentioned right there are just unbelievable of ways, like you said, that you can bring yourself in and actually have a meditative process without actually doing what we would consider quote unquote meditation or the, you know, the kind of general view of it. Mm -hmm. uh, I was talking to a, a client yesterday and she was, uh, she's in her sixties. She's trying to get back into the dating scene and part of her, her doing that and building out some of her profiles, she had a video filmed of her. And uh, I, I asked her, you know, she's like, she's like I, I didn't like what I saw on video. And I was like, well, can you, can you elaborate a little bit? And she was like, I was, I was anxious when the other person was talking. I was looking around, like almost like I was ADD and absent-minded and not paying attention. She goes, and then when I was talking, I would focus back in, but... When I saw myself on camera, I realized that I'm not giving people my attention. I'm not present. And even worse, I seem uncomfortable in my own skin and I seem anxious and nervous. And it got me thinking because it's so easy for us to see that and observe it in other people, but can be very challenging to have that same level of introspection and objectiveness with ourselves. Is that something that you've noticed, considered, or um, played around with at all as a, as a tool for self-actualization, consciousness hacking, behavior modification? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, everything you just touched on, touched on there is, is on point. Like, right, this whole idea requires us to be conscious beings, living in the moment, mindful. And it is, in this day and age, it is so hard. Um, I, I may have, I may have my, my, my ideas and my principles and my philosophies, and maybe they may be further along or more well-developed than others, but I am completely um, still a work in progress. Like I can go further on this like path of ascension in life. You know, like I said, there's, there's those monks that float when they le levitate, you know, when they're, when they're sitting on the side of a mountain and um, every day is a work in progress and a hundred percent allowing meditation to slip by and just getting too caught up. It's so incredibly easy. It requires so much effort. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's has just unbelievable effects on life. So the very first place I take, and I think part of what's allowed me to come to this point to take in different things I've learned from other coaches and books I've read and kind of put all this stuff together. And in these types of philosophies is the fact that um, the one thing I do, I can say for myself is I do take a very, very hard look at myself in the mirror. It may vary on a day-to-day -day basis, just how hard it is to look, but, um, I am constantly, constantly trying to improve myself. And it's because I've seen, wow, look at where I've come in two years. And it's the idea of like, how do people get to be a know-it-all? Well, they embrace the fact that they know nothing. So they soak up everything that's out there. And in the process, they become more, more read and more well-educated than other people. So they seem like a know-it-all, but they've gotten there from a very humble place. It's this exact same thing. Now that I've gotten the taste of it and I've seen the path I've been on for the last two years, it only like drives me more and more to, to on this path to become more self-actualized and become better and better and better and to not allow myself to slip into that. But it, it is definitely an every, it is definitely an everyday struggle on my end. You, you'd mentioned the eight levels of consciousness. Can you, yes. can you elaborate on those a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, so basically there's probably about, um, two of them, um, to be honest, that are, um, pretty much a given. So you're born, right? You have basically zero consciousness. 
Um, you're a baby. If I cry, I get fed. If I take a shit, I get fed. Um, there is no world outside of you. The world, you, right? The, the world revolves so, around you. Sometimes I wish life was like that. <laughs> well, no, absolutely. And, that, and that's the funny thing. It's like, you know, as we age, unfortunately, we're not babies anymore. So we have to, we have to grow up and we have to become more conscious beings because uh, life, unfortunately, does not afford us that. Um, so as you ascend up to this next level, the next level is basically a natural ascension. You can call it toddlers you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, maybe. Um, but this is also a place where parents can have um, a very profound role in the development of their child as a conscious. So now you start to realize you don't have, you don't really know what empathy is for the most part, but you start to recognize there's other children, right? Like I, I need to share my toys. It's a good thing. I start to know what right or wrong is. And, and of course, this is where the parents can start to play an integral role by starting to impress these things upon their child. Um, the next path up would be preteen teenagers. So this is um, I'm starting, I realize there's a world around me, but I don't care, right? I am self-destructive. I want to punch my way out of things. If I'm in the backseat, my parent tells me to put my seatbelt on. I don't. Why? Because you told me to put it on. Um, so I, I start to develop more of a level of consciousness and understanding the world around me, but I am completely and utterly self-absorbed. As you get beyond that, you become, uh, you could, you could be, you know, and this, again, this is where ages can vary dramatically. And this is why it actually can be a very powerful thing to understand um, consciousness because you can actually look at other people and we don't, you know, it's no longer race, gender, age, especially we're on different levels of consciousness and that's how, you know, we, we, we can act with people. So the next page up would be, all right, I understand there's rules and laws. I have a very deep understanding of right or wrong. And I follow those rules and those laws to a T. I'm a very simple minded person. I don't have my own ideas. I don't have my own thoughts. Um, I just do as I'm told because I recognize what right is. Um, as you ascend up from there is, is a, again, another very selfish approach because what happens, and this is actually where a lot of highly successful like type A personalities can be. Um, if you think of like the, that 80s version of like the Wall Street you know, broker, the big boastful guy, this is where a lot of guys are because you now develop enough consciousness to have your own ideas and thoughts um, so much so that you, you're fine with breaking rules, but you're also super selfish in leveraging that. So a lot of times you can be hyper driven and hyper successful financially, but again, all the other main areas, so spirituality, relationships, um, your sense of community, intimacy, you know, all those other things uh, suffer as a result of this this focus on financial success. So a lot of people can get stuck on this fifth level. I believe it's I believe it's orange. Um, so if you can ascend up from that to the sixth level, this is the final level of what they would call first tier thinking. So now you liken it to, so now you start to have more of a, you start to develop this integrative approach to the world. So I understand, like I care about the environment and I care about social issues and I have a high level of empathy, but you're not quite at the point where you can understand other people's worldviews, right? So when I go back to the, the Donald Trump supporter and the Bernie Sanders supporter, right? They're on different levels. So maybe the Bernie Sanders supporter um, is on a different level of consciousness and maybe it has more empathy and a better worldview, but they're not to the point where it's like, Donald Trump supporter, you are wrong. I am right. We're going to butt heads over this. Like they're, they're not to the point where they can understand, okay, I understand why you're upset and why you like Donald Trump and that's fine. And I disagree with you, but it makes sense. So those are first tier thinking. So those are still where we are more or less still thinking within ourselves as we ascend upwards, the, the levels of consciousness grow. So if you actually look, there's a, the theory of this is called spiral dynamics. So if you look at basically think of how we would like um, draw a tornado as a child. It, we basically draw a spiral that gets wider and wider as we go up. So as you go up there, it's color coded to represent the different levels, but it also gets wider because as we do this, we start to create more space in our brain. 
which is what allows us to be more mindful and more empathetic and, and have this more integrative approach. So now the next step up would be seven. Now this is the first of the two that are second tier thinking. So this is where, like I say, things start to become integrative and holistic. So now maybe I'm, I'm still a staunch Bernie Sanders supporter, but I care even more. I have even more empathy for the world. Um, I care more about the environment and social issues. Um, but I'm also at a point now where I can understand other people's worldviews and why they adopt the values that they are. I don't consider myself right. I don't consider themselves wrong. I consider us different and, and, and being guided by different values. Um, so this is when you really start to become one with the world. That second tier, that seventh level is really you know, what you want to aspire to. And the final level is what I would hope to get to, but I'm definitely nowhere near there. And that's like the very Zen, like you are literally completely and utterly just one with the world. Nothing can phase you. You can't, no one can make you angry. Um, no one can hurt you no matter what harm they cause you, which is very much a stoic principle as well too. Um, you are just completely and utterly one with the world. You understand everything makes sense. All those little missing puzzle pieces are put together and you just understand the world, the world, all of its inhabitants, people's actions and everything completely and utterly clearly. And, you know, as I said, like, so this is the path of ascension going up this spiral as it gets wider and wider. Oftentimes, though, we can descend. So maybe we are super open minded for a while and we love diversity and we have a lot of empathy for others. And then we as we get older, we can start to descend. Maybe we have one group of friends and there's no diversity and we stop exposing ourselves to novelty, things that stimulate the brain and keep our worldviews greater and more holistic. So we stop having so we start to lose our view of the world. We stop understanding about other people and we can actually descend. So it's uh, the path the, you know, ideally the goal should be ascension. Um, but the funny thing is most of us, as we, we hit a point in our life, we hit a block that we're never able to get over. And then we're, and then we start descending, which is why those hacks, especially the paradigm shifts I talk about, you know, recognizing those belief systems and then changing your environment to start reinforcing a positive belief is such a powerful hack on your path towards ascension. How do we reconcile the goal of ascending with a desired end result of ascension with the maintaining of a detachment from outcome. I'm sorry, a detachment from what? From outcome. Uh, what do you mean? Can you explain that a little more? Like a lot of times in, in, in Buddhism and various philosophies that, that teach mindfulness, it's you have an intention, but you, you, you release attachment to a specific outcome. And, and that therefore allows you to be more adaptable and to, um, to counterintuitively reach that desired outcome more effectively. So it's like, it's like if we're trying to ascend, that effort, that trying is almost like a recognition of the fact that we have not yet ascended. And we have this desire for what we want to achieve, yet at the same time, we, we want to be focused on, on where we are right now. Is, is any of that making sense or not really? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. That, ma yeah, that makes perfect sense. And, and the answer is it's very difficult um, because as you mentioned, you know, with Buddhism stuff that you do have to release and let go of the outcome, which is very difficult, right? Because we are very much uh, an outcome and results oriented society. Um, you know, I tell uh, like an example I'll use a lot of times is, so what I do is I expose myself to as much creative novelty as possible. So like live music shows are, are amazing. Uh, for me, and I, I literally look at going, even though I love like live music, I literally look at going as a sh um, going to a show as a means of self-improvement and growth. 
because I'm taking in this novel that's different than this creative stimuli. My brain is it's inputting it, right? But for it to manifest itself in a good idea, I have to you know improve my bottom up thinking and slow down my top down to allow these ideas to manifest into something positive. Um, so for us, so many times it's like, okay, I did these hacks, and it's it's two days later, and I'm not seeing the difference. I'm not on the next level of ascension or whatever it is. Um, so it is it's very difficult, and obviously, you know. <laughs> Without you know being too cliche, it does, it requires a high level of consciousness of understanding this is where I want to go, um, but to do that I have to go into a completely malleable, completely vulnerable, and really devoid of expectations and just believe more so in in the process. Believe that if I do this, it's going to have correlationary effects that are going to benefit me six, twelve months down the road, and they're only going to to continue to compound themselves. Um, so yeah, it can be a very, very difficult thing. Um, especially with, you know, the mindset of our society that we look at things so black and white is if I have a and I do B, well, I better have C very quickly. It's like, well, no, if you do a and B, you might end up with F, but it's, you know, two years or six months down the road. And it's definitely just a belief in the system and just paying attention to very close attention to, again, those little victories. Um, if you can just find, you know, every now and then you'll have these moments where I was more mindful. I actually, um, something that comes to mind is I was listening to your podcast with, um, Andrew Huberman and you talked about the shooting. Um, I believe, right. You were training a client and there was a shooting. Am yeah. I correct? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it was funny cause when you said that I had the exact same moment and actually when I thought about that, I'm like, those are huge, huge moments in terms of mindfulness. Now, Andrew took a different approach to explaining it to me. The way I see it is, um, I, uh, probably a couple months prior to that, I was driving on the highway in a car literally spun out of control right from me and whipped all the way across the highway. And it was slow motion. I literally calmly put my foot on the brake and my heart rate didn't even increase. I was like, wow, like that happened in such slow motion. I mean, this car was right in front of me. Um, most people would be having their life flashing before their eyes and I just calmly stopped and it literally didn't even get my heartbeat racing. And, and I, 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 you know, so when I heard your story, um, I related very much to that because those are, those are some of the signs like that I'm an extremely mindful person. I'm happy, like things are happening in the moment. Um, so much so that I'm able to control myself in, in even highly, highly stressful situations like that. Now that's obviously an extreme example, but you will have these kind of little, um, moments where you realize how much more mindful you are or how you're growing in empathy or lo and behold, I'm, I, I do sales for a living or most people, you know, life is sales. And I'm starting to have more success with it. And I can't figure out why, like what's happening. Well, maybe you're more mindful and empathetic and to the point of you're able to be a really good listener and you're able to pick up on cues that people are doing and you're able to address pain points more. It's things like that. It's, it's literally um, this idea that the p missing puzzle pieces in life will just come together. They're not going to slap you in the face when, when they come together, but they will. Um, but it is a very difficult thing to go into with that approach because you have to be vulnerable and you have to be willing to be very malleable in that process and really have no clear definition, um, just a general expected outcome. I'm at point A and I want to end up here and who knows what happens in between or how long it takes. Yeah, yeah. You, you said something earlier too that I, I thought was really fascinating. It was the idea of identifying negative or disempowering beliefs and then, you know, trying to change those. And you, for in, in your own example, you referred back to kind of, you know, your, your story growing up and some of those things that you went through and how that uh, impacted your beliefs and, and your operating system for a long time until, until what, you know, it sounds like that operating system kind of came crashing down and you realized yeah. that, that you needed to reevaluate things. 
Um, and, and one of the, it's, it's so often that because, because what we've gone through and those life experiences is we'll, we'll call we'll say it's, it's real. Um, we keep going back to that and thinking about those things and what's a belief. It's really just a thought that we think over and over again. Right. But because to us, these experiences, whether good or bad are real, you know, I'm just being realistic. We, yeah. we think them over and over and over again and therefore create those beliefs in ourself. And sometimes, consequently, it, it, that is a, a, a disempowering worldview world and belief system that results. Um, and, and something that can be helpful is like taking our story, our, our life story, and, and, and just writing it out, doing a somewhat simplified version, just hitting the, the big emotional pain and pleasure points, uh, you know, the, the highs and the lows and doing it like one sentence at a time. And then you do that first without any judgment. You're just telling your story and putting it on paper. And then you, you label the different beliefs or, or the, the, the different events that have impacted your beliefs. Or you can look at it as empowering event, disempowering event. And, and you, you start to pay a little bit more attention to how much do I think back on this? How much has that impacted my, my, my uh, model of the world? And just going about it a little bit more deliberately and a little bit more consciously um, can be helpful and perhaps in some cases allow us to circumvent, uh, you know, I, w- I went through a similar thing where, you know, my whole world came crashing down when I got really, really sick. But uh, allow, you know, your experience, my experience where maybe people, someone listening can do this exercise, elevate their consciousness, and maybe avoid, <laughs> circumvent some of those disasters and not have to wait for their operating system to come crashing down before they start uh, tweaking, tweaking the, the, the software. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I, I, I think you, uh, that was perfect. Um, you know, I would call that cutting, cutting the rubber band. You know, I, you liken uh, our past to, like, you have this rubber band wrapped around your waist, right? And you're just stretching it out. And all it's trying to do is pull you back to it, right? Those are our stories. Those are the things we hold on to. And what happens is as that rubber band is stretching and trying to pull you back, we're constantly being pulled back to our past. And what it's doing is it's guiding ourselves in the future. And we, but the fact of the matter is we live on this, this track, right, that goes all the way back to when we were born and all the way forward to whenever we're going to die. And right now, this very moment, we are on this teeny tiny little place on this track that is the moment. But the rub is that this is where living actually takes place. So if you are constantly being pulled back to your, to your past, what happens is your present self is unable to make the appropriate decisions it's supposed to because your past is actually guiding your future decisions. So kind of what you're doing, like by almost um, taking, writing it down and almost having a cathartic approach to it, uh, what you're doing is you're essentially cutting that rubber band that's your past, which allows you to be in the moment, right? Like I still work hard and I still hustle. It's a necessary evil, but I've gotten smart at it. And now I'm extremely happy with the pace of my life and, and everything. And you know, cause I used to have a chip on my shoulder like crazy. And I would just literally look for excuses to put that chip on my shoulder. And I thought it was this really positive thing, right? Cause it motivated me, but I realized how negative it was. Like I can still do what I do and not just be angry at every single person who I think doubts me in the slightest. And then that is, it's, it's such an incredibly freeing experience. So now I'm, I'm much more, um, capable of making the proper decisions for the 
future of my life because I'm making them with a clear conscious, with a clear like consciousness, um, and I'm able to make the proper decisions for my future path. And I'm not, you know, or at least doing as best as possible to not allow my past to determine how I proceed in the future. So that kind of process you're talking right there would almost be like cutting that, you know, cutting that rubber band loose. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, so some, if you could highlight some of the important daily, weekly, monthly things that you do. We've talked about meditation and headspace. We've talked about, um, you mentioned a number of, of, of different exercises. You talked about looping the song, while, like one track while you're working out. Um, what, are, what are some other things that someone listening that wants to start ascension that wants to start hacking their consciousness what are what are the most important high leverage activities that you would you would instruct them to start start with um i definitely on a daily basis um for sure journaling um do you use a structured journal like the five minute journal or do you use just a, a regular blank sheet of paper um i use a five minute journal yep and and i believe in that structure um one because it's easy to commit to um, but it focuses, I, I love the gratitude focus of it. And I understand gratitude is be, now becoming a buzzword, but it's amazing. Like just how powerful gratitude can be. Like I, I don't tend to focus on big, on like big things, right? Like someone's like, Oh, I'm happy. I have uh, a roof over my head. Okay. Obviously. But like when you can actually wake up in the morning and begin your day by focusing on uh, one thing I do again, it's a stoic approach. If I'm stressed out, like out of my wits and I know I shouldn't be, I need to not let this affect me. I write down, I'm grateful for the stress that I have right now because it is a byproduct of me following my passions and pursuing my dreams. You know, I'm a little, I'm a little under the weather right now. So I'm grateful that I'm sick because it's, it's, a, it's a teaching moment. It's a realization of how much I need to appreciate being healthy on a day-to-day basis. Um, so I like to focus on things like that. I think they're very, very powerful. It's, it's focusing on your gratitude for the negative things and focusing on tiny little things. I'm thankful for the books that are on my shelf because they've done more for me than the $70,000 I, you know, I put into college. Um, I think, I think journaling is a very powerful thing. Um, my kind of my morning rituals are, um, they're, I don't follow them hundred percent to a T, but, uh, I read, um, I, I start off by journaling. I read, I meditate. Um, I read, I will actually do, um, so I use the Lumosity app, um, uh, neuroplasticity games. I think they're just very good at you know keeping your brain functioning quickly. What what, the, what neuroplasticity games? Um, the, the Lumosity app. Oh, luminosity or something? Yeah, uh, Lumosity. Yeah. So luminosity, I think that's very good okay. at just keeping your brain like really sharp and focused and quick, um, which again keeps you in the moment. So I think those are a really good way to start the day. Um, I'm a firm believer in morning rituals because I think it just sets the tone for the rest of the day. Um, and, and structure, um, you know, kind of on a, on a bigger, on a bigger, you know, it may not be an everyday thing. Um, walks. Um, I am a huge, huge fan of walks, but again, be mindful in your walks. Don't, don't go on those walks and just think about everything that's stressing you on your life. Pay attention to your sadness, pay attention to nature. Um, it's, it's amazing what that kind of just input, um, can have that or the effects that can have on your everyday life. And then of course, again, you know, the bigger things I can touch on, it's those paradigm hacks. It's shifting your belief systems, you know, recognizing your rackets, um, you know, letting go of letting, recognizing your stories and then finding ways to let go of them so that your past doesn't guide you. You know, those are, those are kind of the, uh, the three big things, um, that I would say on like a, you know, if it's a monthly basis or something like that to do it or more kind of big picture stuff. If you were, if you were dropped off on, uh, 
a deserted island uh, indefinitely, what three books would you bring with you and why? Uh, so definitely the obstacle is the way. Actually, you know what? I wouldn't. I would do Meditations which is by Marcus Aurelius, which is mostly what there's a lot of what obstacle of the way is based off of. Um, Marcus Aurelius is my uh, meditation is my favorite um, Stoic philosophy book because he wasn't a Stoic philosopher. He was probably the best um, practitioner of Stoic philosophy. So you're getting it from someone who didn't create the philosophy, but who literally lived it in a way that uh, Jesus Christ would be proud of. Um, let's just put it that way. So um, it's amazing how just reading a couple pages of meditation on a daily basis can just set the tone. Um, for everything. So, so definitely, um, I would read meditations. Um, I would, the, uh, the next two books I would say would probably be, um, I would say bold, um, by Peter Diamandis. Um, because I would, so it's his, it's his follow up to his book abundance. And the idea is like, we live in this abundant world technology. There's so many resources that with zero budget, you can build a billion dollar company. Um, the reason being is I think that would, um, keep me dreaming. I would think it would keep me thinking big. It would, you know, here just in the book, not to go for something that's 10% better to put the 10 X things, right? These go after these moon shots in life. Um, and so I think it would be very powerful for me in terms of like maintaining that type of a mindset. Um, cause who knows, maybe that type of that inspiration with staying humble and open-minded would help me get off the island. Um, so I would say that would probably um, be my second one. And then, uh, very good question. On the third one, I would probably say, um, that is a good one. Um, if, it, if, if it's only two, it's two, two is cool. <laughs> two, I, I just, I have, yeah, I have two strong ones that come to mind, I say. The third one I would have to think about for a little bit. But yeah, I would say, I would say those two because meditations would just keep me humble um, and keep me going on a daily basis and realize that I'm alive and I'm here and I have everything to be grateful for. And bold would, I think, just keep, keep me dreaming in the toughest of times. Now, I'm, I'm excited about this. I mean, th those were great answers. I'm excited to hear your answer here because I know you're so into music. Um, three, three musical albums, same question. Ooh, three musical albums. Okay. Um, Yeezy, or Yeezus by Kanye West. Um, really? Yes. Not, not critically, because that was just, that was Kanye West self-actualizing. It was him just bare bones if you listen to it. I mean, he's even got a song called I'm a God, but it's not like an egotistical song. Um, it's, it's Kanye West, like, basically his path was, he's brilliant. Like, imagine what it was like, you know, the way I, I'm a bit of an apologist for him, but imagine him coming out, wanting to be a rapper. No one thinks you can rap because you're not a hip, you're not a gangbanger or a bling blinger. And he proves the world wrong. And not only does he prove the wrong, world wrong, he's the biggest artist on the planet, right? So he's like, did, got to this point by being very humble, but now is constantly being faced with ego. Like, F you, like, look at what I accomplished. And then his mom died and he dealt with it in a horrible way. Like if you look at when, like the Taylor Swift thing and everything, that was all when he admits he was drinking heavily and dealing with his mom. And so Jesus, uh, Kanye West just in general is, is like one of my favorite artists, but his, um, his, yeah, that album, you can just hear the self-actualization that you can hear him realizing who he is and his best. And what people love to prey on are his worst moments. The thing is, is like, if he's not this ego, like no one who's an egomaniac would be able to realize themselves in that way. Um, and lyrically, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's this incredibly just bare bones, just raw album. Um, the, the second one would be, 
um, probably Alan Stone, um, and it's Alan Stone self-titled. Um, Alan Stone is, oh my gosh, if anyone listening to this, go check him out. Um, I argue the single greatest voice on the planet and nobody thinks that's true because most people don't know who he is. Um, he is this neo soul singer who has, was put on this planet to be a soul singer. He's got like long red hair, thick glasses, looks geeky. And the guy just has pipes for days. Um, how, but how do you spell also, that? Uh, Alan Stone. So it's A L L E N and then Stone S T O N E. Um, like I just saw him a week ago in this tiny club of like 200 people. And I mean, not only was he given this incredible, like this amazing voice, but he like has all the soul to back it up. Like he was just put on this planet to be a soul singer. Um, so are, you, are you talking about that, that 2012 album? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. Alan Stone's self-titled would be the 2012 album. Yep. Okay. Um, yep. His new one is phenomenal, but yeah, the self-titled is his best. Um, and then the final one would be, um, Probably Otis Redding's Deep Cuts album. Can't think of the name. It's, it's not like his greatest hits. It's like his Deep Cuts. It's like his hidden tracks. Um, Alan Stone, I think, has probably got the greatest soul voice ever. Um, Otis Redding is the one person I've ever heard who can digitally transfer. Like, I mean, the guy just literally rips his heart out, blood and guts, and just leaves it out there. And like, he, I've never heard someone translate that from the studio to digitally or you know, album or whatever it is. Um, in a way that uh, in a way that Otis Redding does. I'm a huge soul uh, soul fan and stuff like that. So um, definitely Otis Redding's Deep Cuts, um, Alan Stone's self titled, and then Yeezy or Yeezus by Kanye West. Something something that you can't live without. Something material that you can't live without. And I know that's probably changed since since stoicism has, has become a part of <laughs> your yeah. life. But, you know, even just like a, a, a gadget or something that is really adds value to your life. All right. Well, so I'll, let me think of a gadget because I would, I would say Marcus Aurelius Meditations, which is a book, of course, but, uh, but I've already um, kind of used that. Um, oh, this, this sucks, but my iPhone um, <laughs> funny, that was the first thing that came to mind for me too, as I was asking the question. I was like, yeah, if you're looking gadget wise and stuff, I'm a, I'm a huge minimalist. Um, I, yeah, but my, I, it, cause it's right. It can be this huge distraction and, and it is. And uh, like, you know, like I said, uh, it's something I struggle with on a daily basis, but it's also in your hand, you have, you know, basically the fastest computer on the planet. You have a computer faster than what people had in their houses 10 years ago. Um, and it's, and it's just this incredible gateway to the world that's compact and can get you anywhere. So yes, it can be a massive distraction. Um, but at the same time, it can be just this incredibly compact, easy to carry around gateway to, to all the information in the entire world. Do you think that from, from the scientific research and anecdotal evidence, do you think that psychedelics and controlled substances play a role in consciousness hacking 100 um, percent i'll just say i am a uh, i'm a big uh tester of that anecdotal evidence uh, i'm a huge proponent of psychedelics and psychoactive substances um in fact i can honestly say they have probably been the most influential in guiding me on my path um and i understand and, and, and here's the thing too is i think on a path of ascension you can get to where you want to go without them 
But again, you really have to be that monk that's isolated from the world and is meditating and just being mindful and present all day. The world makes it extremely difficult. What, what, what psychoactives and psychedelics do is they give you an instantaneous gateway to mindfulness. Um, your brain empties. I mean, your top-down thinking is non-existent. You have no cares. You are so present in the world. Time slows down. You pick up on everything more. Um, conversations are better. You, you have more empathy. I mean, I, I feel like sometimes... Um, I can, you know, like literally just see inside people's souls. And, and so I do lower doses. Um, I don't do, I'm not, I don't trip or anything like that. I do low doses that just make you, I would say more present and mindful and stuff like that. Um, and I can, I can say without a doubt, it's been the fastest point. Like it would be like, if I want to get really good at making free throws, um, uh, I would shoot, you know, 200 free throws a day. But what if I could find a way to make 200 free throws in 10 seconds? You know, it just gets you there instantaneously. And uh, you just walk away from those experiences so much more empowered um, and so much more conscious and mindful of the world. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a very big um, proponent of that. What's your favorite um, or, or what substance maybe have you seen, we can say, <laughs> in, in studies or anecdotally that, that you believe holds the most promise in this area? Um, so it's, it's interesting because, um, um, so let's just say, I know, I know of three that I can say, I know people have used, uh, with or without me, uh, we'll just say, um, so the three would be psilocybin or, uh, active ingredient mushrooms, LSD, and then MDMA. Um, they all seem to have their own place. Um, what I can say about MDMA is, um, I know it, it gets like this, this rep is this like rave drug and everything like that. And I understand because like there's a huge sense of connection you have. Um, but there's also very powerful to sitting around listening to good music with good friends on a Friday night and just having like incredibly deep conversation. The conversations get deeper because you're fr everybody's literally, you know, the stress that that top part of the brain is gone. So everybody's so in the moment, the conversations are deeper, the level of empathy is huge. So I would say from an empathetic standpoint towards human beings, um, MDMA hands down when used effectively. But because of that, I also, I'm not a raver myself, but I can understand why it would be used there. Um, LSD is very, very spiritual. Um, you know, I'm, I do consider myself to be a Christian. Yeah, one thing I can say is when, you know, they say the, the, the idea that like Christians say God is around you. Uh, on LSD, uh, you feel that and it's, and it's powerful. Um, and to just feel that connected to the world and that one with the world, um, again, has very profound experiences. Um, psilocybin, um, that the world slows down, um, things pop more. Um, you really, you look around and you're like, wow, this is, we live in this like 3d world, but we walk around as if it's 2d. We don't notice how these trees and these cars all pop and how they have their own place in the world. Um, and so psilocybin is really good at just really like recognizing your surroundings, but recognizing them for their present state that we live in this 3D world and we're just one piece in it. Like your spatial relation is like out of this world. Um, so they, to be honest, I think they, they, what I found is that they really all have their own unique uses and it depends on what you're going for. Of course, I'm just one person, um, but um, do have anecdotal evidence on the three. And that's where I kind of how I would break them down in their uses and stuff like that. If you're sitting at home, um, don't do mushrooms, uh, you know, MDMA or something like that. If you're sitting at home and you're with friends, I mean, you'll have an incredible experience. You all walk away feeling closer people. And like you literally have a better understanding of the human race. That's uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
What are you working on right now? What's, what's on the horizon for you? And, and where, can, where can people go that, that want to follow you and, and the projects that you're working on? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so my, my startup is a marketing and advertising tech startup. It's called Chitter. The website is getchitter.com. Um, with that, what we're really trying to do is uh, we're trying to take this idea of social influence and democratize it. So we're trying to create, we're creating technologies that turn everyday consumers into paid content creators instead of finding people like yourself, of course, you know, who would definitely be like an influence in, in your industry. Well, everyday consumers have, you know, power um, and opinions and things like that. So that's kind of our mission there. Um, so if that's of interest for whatever reason, anybody, it would be there. Um, other than that, really, it's, it's, it's this, this path, you know, it's this big grand journey of life. Um, I, you know, am going to start, um, uh, kind of pursuing more in terms of speaking and things like that for this idea of consciousness hacking this path to ascension. Um, because it was something I just started putting out there for my team as a way of like, Hey, we really want to make you guys better, more well-rounded individuals. And the response has been so good. That's one of those things. Like, I feel like for whatever reason, I just have a unique take on a unique perspective, whether it's my past experiences, um, the way I've approached them in a positive way, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's something I feel like needs to get out there more. So I'm going to definitely make that more of a mission. Um, so in that regard, um, I tweet, I do like Twitter. Um, so you can, everything is, I am Seth Knapp, I am S C T H K N A P P. So if you want to find me on Instagram, on Twitter, it's at I am Seth Knapp. And then website is www.iamsethknapp.com. Seth, this is this has been great. Um, I, I appreciate all of the advice and tips and, and stories and everything that you shared. We're very open about for someone listening, and if they want the one thing, the, the one thing that will have the greatest impact on their ascension. Um, what? Where would you tell them to start? Um, I would say it's a one, a one, a one, and a one a, but they both kind of go hand in hand. It's understanding where you are on this level of consciousness. I discussed the theories. Um, if you want to discuss them in that link, just Google spiral dynamics. That's the theory behind it. So obviously it's not finite science, but I do honestly believe that that's how we really sit in the world. Um, uh, understand and recognize where you are, because if you're not honest with yourself, one, there you go. That's a racket, right? Be honest with yourself. Um, where you are, even if you're not on a level of consciousness, you would like to be great. Now you know how much for, how much room there is to grow and improve. So it's that self-recognition of where you currently stand um, and then understanding how the brain works, like how we begin to create this space. Because if you don't create space, you're unable to do any of these hacks and stuff like that because you're constantly filled with clutter and you can't be present in the moment. So understanding that top down and that bottom up approach, if you understand that, then from there, you know how to start doing even just little hacks and things like that on a day to day basis. So if you can understand where you actually are on the level of consciousness, be honest with yourself and then really have a deep understanding of the difference between bottom up thinking, which we want to improve and top down thinking, which we want to um, limit because we do it too much. Those that one and one A will be extremely powerful because that's your base for everything from there on out. Seth, thank you. You've been really generous with your time and knowledge and wisdom. And uh, I appreciate it. I know that our listeners will appreciate it. And um, I thank you, sir. Yeah, absolutely. I thank you a lot. And I uh, really appreciate it. I had a blast. This episode is brought to you by BiOptimizers. That's B-I-Optimizers.com. And more specifically, there are two products that I use every day, Masszymes and P3OM Probiotics. 
Masszymes is a medical-grade enzyme formulation that increases your enzyme potential, allowing for optimal protein digestion and absorption necessary for growth. Additionally, the formulation cleanses your GI tract of undigested protein while improving energy and cognitive function, all the while reducing the resources needed for the metabolization of food. And less resources being allocated toward the metabolization of food by your body means more energy for you. Masszymes is the strongest proteolytic enzyme formulation on the market today, and at 85,000 HUTs, it contains more protease per capsule than any other formula. P3OM probiotics are a patented probiotic formula developed by one of the world's leading probiotic experts. P3OM uses a patented process to enhance L-plantarum's capacities, resulting in a new super strain that may be the most powerful probiotic developed. This probiotic is designed to help you combat viruses, retroviruses, and super bacteria. I use P3OM and Masszymes every day, along with a number of other probiotic supplements that I cycle, which is an important aspect of getting the best effect from your probiotics. So you never want to take probiotics. You never want to take the same probiotic every single day, and you never want to take the same amount every single day. So I am constantly cycling in different probiotics that I have found to be the most effective, changing up their dosage to keep the body adapting and constantly evolving. So you can save 10% on your first order of P3OM probiotics and masszymes by going to buyoptimizers.com. That's B I. O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com and entering discount code biohacks, that's B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S at checkout. So once again, that's Masszymes and P3OM probiotics and you can save 10% on your first order at buyoptimizers.com with discount code biohacks. Biohacks. 